child sacrifice was pretty normal in these pagan cultures. And so it's what God does that actually makes this child sacrifice good news. Pay attention. Uh, Genesis 22, starting uh, in verse 2. God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham did that. He took Isaac, he took uh, and a knife and some wood, and he went up on the mountain to kill and burn his son. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abram built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abram, Abram! And he said, Here I am. And the angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And then in verse 16, God said to Abram, By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, if you want to flip over to James 2, which is on page 1012 of those Blue Pew Bibles, we're going to continue our sermon series we've been doing through the letter from James to the churches in the diaspora. We've been calling this uh, Heart and Hand, and we're just taking it one section at a time, seeing what instructions James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, had for the early church. Now, James is addressing a lot of different issues uh, that were all presumably a problem or a big deal in the early church. Last week, we heard his instructions about not showing partiality. Pastor Mike talked about that. And his admonition that mercy triumphs over judgment. And then he continues today in James 2, picking up in verse 14, where James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, Oh, you have faith and I have works. (laughs) Show me your faith apart Uh, from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All that I have summarized to you, all that I have read to you from the Old and New Testaments is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you to hear your word this morning. We are glad that you save us as we are. You save us where we are. But you never leave us as we are. Would you either admonish us, if that's what we need in your love this morning, or encourage us through our doubts, through your word, so that our lives may be ever more conformed to Christ, following and obeying all you have commanded us, with good works. Encourage us by the Holy Spirit as we see you at work in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, I don't know if you heard this, but James said it three different times. Faith without works is dead. In fact, we are justified by our works and not by faith alone. Reformed theology is wrong and we're all in trouble, right? Of course not. But but, but some Reformed people should be a little nervous. (laughs) Because sometimes I hear something like what James heard. Well, I have faith, so I don't need to do all these things to be justified and made right with God. Why are you so into doing all these good things? Do you think it makes you better or right with God? No. But I need to make some people doubt their salvation today because of their lack of good works. Which is a weird thing to do in a sermon. You don't normally preach to make people doubt their salvation. But if you know anything about ministry in Oklahoma, or ministry in sort of the southwest, wherever we are, the weird place Oklahoma exists, You have to spend time convincing people they're not saved in order to get them saved sometimes. Because there are at least four types of people that could be listening this morning. One, there are Christians that need some encouragement. I promise I'm going to encourage some of you. Two, there are Christians that need some admonishment. So I'm going to chew a couple of you out. Three, There are people who think they're Christians and they're going to hell if they don't realize they are not saved. And four, there are other than Christians that have seemingly such good works that they sort of feel right in utterly dismissing Christians because really, God should like them. 
And let me tell you, all four of those people can be saved. Two of them are saved. Two of them aren't, but they can be. And this passage has something important to say to all these types of people and anyone else I didn't name. Namely, faith without works is not saving faith. Woo! Grace Boy is going to get legalistic today. Yep. Hang on. So, uh, the real trick with this passage, and, and Pastor Mike were talking, uh, Pastor Mike and I were talking about this this week, there's actually not tons of stuff to just like teach from this passage, because unless you don't understand the English language, it's pretty straightforward. A lot of this passage is actually correcting errors that can come out of reading this passage if you don't understand the context, both of the letter itself and of the letter within the context of the whole Bible. So one error you could walk away with uh, is thinking that you do in fact need to do something to be saved. Because do you need to do something to be saved? Yes, you thought I was going to say no. Yes, you do, actually. Second, you could walk away thinking you can be saved and do nothing, especially if you were paying attention to our uh, assurance of pardon. But both of those ideas that you need to do something to be saved or that you don't have to do anything to be saved are both a sort of error. Oh, now you're really confused, right? So, there is nothing you do to be saved, but a saved person will definitely respond to salvation and do something. That's, that's really where I'm going with this. Uh, you do not do anything to be saved, but a saved person will definitely respond and do something. Reformed theology is not wrong. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, okay? I believe in the solace. But real faith produces real works. And so to understand what James is trying to confront and what we need to do, we're going to look at slovenly faith, saving faith, and end by talking about the center of our faith. And it took me a while to find that third S sound, okay? Um, sorry, i got to one-up Pastor Mike sometimes. <laughs> uh, now, uh, let me go back to, if some of you were paying attention, you'll notice there seems to be a direct contradiction between our uh, assurance of pardon and what we just read in this passage. Because Paul said, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And James turned right around and said, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Uh, we are justified by works and not by faith alone. So which is it, preacher? See, the Bible's in contradiction and Christianity can't be true. That's what some people will tell you. And those people don't know what they're talking about. It's fun to be condescending from the pulpit, right? Because no one talks back to you normally. Um, <laughs> so if, you would, if anyone who read in Romans 4 kept on reading into Romans 12, you would actually get to Paul explaining, no, if you are saved, you're going to make a living sacrifice of yourself for this pleases the Lord. And you're going to read all his instructions about how we are to live. 
And whether James was directly and intentionally correcting some sort of misunderstanding of Paul, which is possible, or he was just correcting a general misunderstanding of faith and works, uh, these letters do not contradict one another once you understand them both in context. Let, Let me put it this way. Take the word produce. If I tell, if I mispronounce it and tell Caitlin to go get some produce from the store, she understands I mean milk or cheese or something, right? But if I say, Jerem, produce for me a work of art, he understands he has to go do something. Same word, different meanings, at least if you're willing to mispronounce it. Uh, So, We've got something like that going on here because it actually is the exact same Greek word in the exact same declension, interesting enough, uh, for justified in both letters, but the word is being used very, very differently. You see, Paul was writing to these Jews in Rome that had become Christians, but they were struggling with the grace of the gospel itself, with understanding what it means that they are really saved by faith alone. And in particular, it's likely that they were trying to include certain ritual parts of the law that Jesus had fulfilled, and also teaching that there was some sort of moral standard that if not met, God certainly wouldn't and couldn't save those people. And Paul is being clear, Jesus has paid for every sin a Christian has ever and will ever commit. Christians, Jesus has lived the righteous life we ought to live and done every good work we ought to do. And we who are united to Jesus by having faith in him, that is by trusting him, are completely forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future, and we are put in right relationship with God. We're justified, right? It's a legal term. We're declared just before God because he treats us as though we were his perfect, utterly obedient children that he loves for the sake of Jesus Christ, not because of anything we've done. But... If we have faith in Jesus, you've already done a thing. You have faith in Jesus. Now, let's get all reformed. Yes, the Holy Spirit came upon you, gave you that faith. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. Uh, But you still did a thing. Now, James, on the other hand, is correcting people that have heard this good news and said, so obviously, I can live however I want and it will be fine. So I'm going to go to the orgies and whatever other crazy things are happening. And Paul did not say that, and neither does James, right? James is saying, listen, if that's your attitude, if you think you can live however you want and have faith in Jesus, you don't really trust him, you don't really love him, if you won't obey him, believing that what he says is best for you, you've got faith in faith, but not faith in Jesus. Well, I believe something, so I'm fine. No. So Paul was attacking self-righteous legalism, right? You have to be good to be saved, or a certain level of good to be saved, whereas James was uh, attacking self 
righteous indifference. I'm saved by faith, so I don't have to live any particular way in particular. Both of those are errors. So James is clear and in utter agreement with Paul. Right? So the word justified here is essentially being used as vindicated. Right? Vindicated. What he did showed what was true of him. We'll talk about that more in a little while. So, James is in agreement with Paul. Faith without works is slovenly faith or no faith at all. Now, slovenly, for the less vocabularily acute among you, you like how I did that? Uh, means lazy, not put together, not working. Uh, and that's who James is challenging here. Those who say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I don't need to take care of the poor. I don't need to care about people who come in and visit the church. Oh, I mean, you've, you've got faith. I have works. It's all good. Right? James is challenging these people because they're not putting in practice what it means that they themselves were poor and lowly and have been lifted up out of spiritual poverty by the king. They say nice, pious, religious things like go in peace, which was a common blessing of the day, but they never actually help the people in need. Right? Their faith is dead. If they had real faith, they'd help those brothers and sisters, at least within the realm of their ability. And so James says, don't you know that we're saved by works as well as faith? They say, don't you know we're saved by faith and not by works? And James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's making the same point as our reading of the law in Matthew 25, where a bunch of people say, uh, Lord, Lord, when did we see you naked or hungry or in prison and not minister to you? And he's going to say, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. And in order to make this illustration, James gives us two examples of not faith. First, the person who comes in and is obviously in need, poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, is a, and I will be honest, is a brother or sister, right? So this is probably a Christian, someone they probably know, maybe someone that's a part of their local church, uh, and doesn't give them the things they need. And James says that's no good. Just like John says in 1 John 3, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Or as Paul also wrote after in his letter to the Galatians, which is largely about being saved by grace and not by works, uh, if you were here for that sermon series. But Paul ends that letter in chapters 5 and 6 saying, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, that's talking about ritual laws, but also other laws, count for anything but only faith working through love. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household 
of faith. And then, of course, he goes on to say, there's all these works of the flesh, people who are not saved, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? What people who have the Holy Spirit who are saved will be producing is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The other illustration that James gives us is the demons. Oh, I have good Reformed theology. Yeah, you know what? Even the demons have good Reformed theology, and um, they shudder, right? Theology does not save us. We can believe something is true. We can even be convicted it's true, and it can still not be faith as the Bible conceives of it. Christian faith is not mere believism. And if your faith isn't changing you, I worry for you. Right? Jesus himself said, either make the tree good and its fruit, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers! How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Anyone nervous yet? I I, I literally teach the Bible for a living, so uh, I stay nervous about my salvation sometimes. (laughs) So you should too. Uh, There you go. Now, if all of this is slovenly faith, Wes, give me some comfort. What then is saving faith? Well, It is Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Oh, but there's another verse after that. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not saved by good works so that no one may boast. But if we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, we are to walk in good works prepared for us beforehand. Or, uh, okay, let's go to Titus. That, That one's better, right? When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh no, there's another verse there too. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, he tells the young pastor. So I guess I better insist on these things. Those who have believed in God need to be careful to devote themselves to do good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Well, that didn't help. Okay, let's have this conversation. So faith with no works is dead. Yes. So how much works do I need to do to be saved, Pastor? 
None. But you said, I said, faith without works is dead. You don't do works to get saved, but if you are saved, you will have a life of good works, and those good works even contribute to your assurance of salvation. Wait, so our assurance of salvation is based on our works? No, your assurance of salvation is based on what Jesus Christ did for you, but your real good works do in fact contribute to your assurance of salvation, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but it is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but works by love. These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end eternal life. So to put that in modern English, our works are things the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and when we see them, while we should never ever become self-righteous about them, because we, they themselves are a gift, they do in fact comfort our hearts. Well, wait a minute. What if I'm not seeing good works in my life? What do I need to do? Stay nervous for a minute. I'll get back to you. All right. James goes on and gives us two more illustrations. So he gives us illustrations of not faith, the guy that didn't take care of the poor, the demons, and now he gives us two illustrations of what is faith. Uh, Straight from the Old Testament, Abraham and Rahab. Now Abraham, right, we read in Genesis 15, it says, Abram believed God, believed Yahweh, and it was counted to him as righteousness. But then years later, Right? I'm not exactly sure how many years later, at the minimum, at least 15, 20, maybe as many as 40, depending on the timeline, uh, Abram goes and is willing to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Now, we do get a little bit of comfort in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Abraham actually had faith that if he killed Isaac, God could raise him from the dead. But Abram never actually had to kill his son, Right? That's what makes that child's sacrifice totally different from any other child's sacrifice. God intervened. He didn't have to kill the child to appease God. Instead, God provided the sacrifice in the ram. The ram is Jesus. And God has provided the sacrifice for you and me in Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. But what Abraham did in acting in obedience, vindicated, right? That's the word translated justified uh, here in verse 21. He was vindicated. He was shown that his faith was real by his willingness to obey. Likewise, Rahab, 
right? So we got this man, this great man of God, and then we got a, probably a prostitute. I mean, there's some argument about that, but certainly not a woman of well, well repute. She's running what's probably a brothel in an enemy city, but when the people of God show up, she says, you know what? Y'all, your God is real. I'm going to hide y'all. And I'm going to make it so that they don't find you. And I'm going to let you go out by another way. And again, was not also Rahab the prostitute vindicated, justified by works? Because she was willing to risk life and limb to obey Yahweh. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. True faith is obedient faith. Now, True faith is not perfect faith, but it is progressive faith. And this is where you can start to feel comforted, right? Um, I, I want to give you two, two, I'm going to take his, he gave two illustrations of one thing, two illustrations of another thing, so I get two illustrations of my own, okay? First, Thor. If you have never watched the MCU, you are a deprived human being. But the five of you that are my age and have, uh, remember in Endgame, Thor has gone back in time, and he, uh, you know, he's talking to his mother, and he's weeping, and he's talking about his failure. They killed all of Asgard, and finally, before Rocket Raccoon shows up to send them back to the future, which is a totally different movie, right? Thor says, wait. Hold on, sometimes it takes a minute. <laughs> Mjolnir the hammer comes to his hand and he says, I'm still worthy. And then in new confidence he went and he defeated Thanos. Right? But he was all, the point is he was worthy. Now he was stumbling in his faith, not faith in Jesus, but go with the illustration, okay? Right? He was stumbling in his faith, but it wasn't entirely gone. And sometimes we certainly stumble in our faith. <clears throat> but it's when we finally put that hand out and wait for Mjolnir, and sometimes it takes a minute, that it comes. And we realize we were always made worthy by the righteousness of Christ. And that's what actually empowers us to go and do what God calls us to do. For the rest of y'all, let me give you an illustration, a little more your speed. The Christmas Carol, right? Scrooge. Uh, so often I hear people, I think, misinterpret uh, the Christmas Carol because they say, oh, look, the ghosts came and convinced him, and so he lived out the rest of his days, and he, it was said that he kept Christmas in his heart all year round, and little tiny Tim said, God bless us, everyone, except it wasn't that he was justified by doing those good things. It was that he was actually transformed as he realized that there was grace to be forgiven and go a new way. He was transformed by this realization that there, there was some power above him. And so he could keep Christmas in his heart all year long. So we need to see Jesus and know that we are saved by grace alone, as a gift alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, and let that inspire us to good works. And if we don't have good works, we should go, why not? 
don't I believe? What sort of works, pray tell, pastor? This passage doesn't go too far into it, so I won't either. But I'll just remind you of what we've already looked at in James so far. Endurance, perseverance under trial, purity of life, obedience to Scripture, compassion for the needy, impartiality, mercy. And later, what we're going to continue as we look at James, we're going to hear about control of the tongue, humility, truthfulness, and patience. Those are the sorts of works I'm talking about. So, let me come back to the four types of people listening to this sermon. Some of y'all are Christians, and you wonder if you're saved. You maybe struggle with assurance. And let me tell you right now that there's this basically bad thinking called all-or-nothing thinking. You want to be perfect, and if you're not doing it perfect, you wonder if you're really saved. I got bad news. We're all corrupted by sin. Don't seek perfection. Only seek progress. Where you see growth, look at Jesus and know that he has done everything to justify you and it's he that has done that work in you. And that will actually spur you on to further good works. Look to Christ. He is the forgiveness and he is the power. Our lives are changed and led to serve him. We don't become self-righteous because it's all by grace, but we are comforted and continue to serve faithfully. Second, there are some Christians that need to get to work, right? You're saved, but you're not responding to grace for whatever reason, aside from just the sin in your life. And you aren't currently visibly growing in grace or contributing to the church or the world as a Christian, and you need a good old kick in the pants. That's not very pastoral, I don't know, Paul told the pastor at Thessalonica to admonish the idol, so I'm going to admonish the idol. Some of y'all ain't doing nothing, and you need to get up off your butt and do something. There you go. And as you do, but before you do that, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Before you do, look at Jesus. Look at what he did for you. Look at how much he loves you. This is not a guilt trip, although it can be received that way, but you have to work that out in your own soul, right? Jesus loved you. And if he loved you enough to give himself on the cross for you, don't you love him in return? Let that not guilt you, but inspire you to go serve the God who loves you. Again, not perfectly. I'm not talking about going from zero to 60. I'm talking about going from doing nothing to doing something. I'm talking about going from doing nothing to trying. Okay? Because if there's no response, you have no reason. If there's just totally unrepented of sin in your life, there's real reason to doubt your salvation until you go look at Jesus as your confidence and see him at work in your life. I had the third type of person. They are not Christians, but they sure think they are, and they will tell me about Reformed theology the minute this sermon is over. See how I hedged my bet? Now you won't do that. Um, right? <laughs> Some people caught that. All right, so, right, they show no concern for the poor brother or sister. They are not repenting of sin. They are not growing in doing good works. And they know their Reformed theology that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And that's why they think they're fine. Once saved, always saved, don't you know? 
And they will even do lots of spiritual things like prophesying and teaching. Remember how I said, as the pastor, I get nervous? I have to go look at myself in the mirror real hard after this passage and then look at Jesus even harder. Right? Because they say religious things, but they don't actually serve. And Jesus will say to them on that last day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. And if you're growing paranoid, if you're now going, you know what, maybe I'm not saved. Good, now you can get saved. Run to Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your action and inaction. And he gladly receives you. That's why he died on the cross. That's the gospel. He has died for all of our sins, both what we have done and what we have not done in thought, word, and deed. Run to him. Find your salvation there. Rest in him. And that will start to produce those good works. And then finally, there may be a couple of people listening in that actually are probably better than all of us. Let's just be honest. And so they don't think they need Jesus. As I often say, they're people damned by their own damnable good works. They tend to be self-righteous, and sometimes they are religious and will even name Jesus, but they think of him more as a, you know, a, a teacher or a model than a savior. They don't depend on him alone for their salvation. They think that because they do good works, God is pleased with them. Or if they're not religious at all, they think if there is a God, I'm so good, God doesn't mind the things I do. And to that person, I simply say, I weep for you, and the reason you have so much brokenness in your life that you don't ever tell anyone about, and the reason you have so much insecurity is because, yeah, what you do may look good to man, but what looks good in the eyes of man is abominable in the sight of God. And you need Jesus too. Run to him, and you know what? You can be saved too. He will gladly receive you. Because it's important to remember in all this talk about good works that Christian good works are never bargaining chips to get favors from God and they certainly never earn us heaven. Good works are a response to the center of our faith. I know you're wondering if I'd ever get to the third point. Luckily, it's the conclusion. We don't have faith in ourselves. We don't have faith in our good works. Christians don't have faith in faith. The center of our faith is Jesus We trust in him and him alone. That's why we don't get nervous when we don't do things perfectly, but we respond with gladness when we do things progressively, not like politically, like we get better, you know, we repent of sin and stuff. Jesus Christ and what he has done for us is the center of our faith because he is God become a man. He lived the sinless life for us and we get credit for for what he did when our faith is in him. And furthermore, he died on the cross to pay the price we owe, and he took our punishment for sin so that Christians will never have to face the punishment of sin. And what's more, God raised him to justify us. Isn't that a funny word for him to use? God raised him to make us right with God? No, guys. God raised him to vindicate us, to show that we are his, that his power belongs to us, and that we are right with God because our Savior was raised from the dead. Thank you. Oh my goodness. So, whichever type of person you are, I want us all to learn about Jesus and believe in him, and yes, live like we believe in him. 
but don't live that way to get saved. Do it because God loves you and knows what is best for you. Faith is what justifies you. Sinners are still made friends of God and have their sins forgiven through faith alone, by grace alone. But works do justify us as well because they vindicate us. They give us some evidence the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives because we're saved. Remember through the whole letter of James, Jesus is the Lord referred to, and his work on the cross is assumed. And James is just wanting to make sure you're saved too, because he wants you to look at Jesus and have faith in him and let that work itself out in your life, not by just knowing about him, not even by being really convinced about him, but by trusting and obeying him. That's the last hymn. See what I did there? Right? Trusting and obeying him because that is the difference between religious faith and Christian faith. God is not waiting to get you, but he wants all of us to hear about Jesus and respond with good works. So even this challenge and call to good works is first and foremost an announcement to you, friends, that Jesus is available to give you good works. And therefore, even James 2 is good news. Let's pray.